0: Hello, and thank you for listening to this episode of Co-Authored, the Oral Histories podcast from History Colorado Studios. For more information about this and our other podcasts, go to www.historycolorado.org podcasts. This episode is the oral history of John Allnut, recorded circa 1968. The focus of the oral history is the 1918 flu pandemic and Mr. Allnut's memories of his family's mortuary and funeral home in Greeley, Colorado this episode may not be appropriate for all listeners. Uh, but getting back to 1918 and the flu, uh, I had uh, was a year late in school, so I was 15 and in the ninth grade when the epidemic hit and uh, they closed school, I suppose. Uh, about the 1st of October, maybe a little before, I think they played one football game uh, before school closed. And, uh, and uh, the whole thing was that this Spanish influenza was a pandemic thing. It was all over the world. And and uh, nobody knew what to do about it. That was before the days of uh, antibiotics or uh, the use of oxygen and things like that and uh, the doctors were as much at a loss as uh, as anyone and uh, each uh, doctor I think had a, a different pet theory about how to treat it some of them uh, uh, thought a lot of whiskey would do it, and that was hard to come by because the, the uh, country had gone dry and but I do remember that uh, Camphrated oil was a specific. Almost, almost everyone that died had a flannel pad on their chest that was saturated with the castrated oil. <laughs> castrated, camphrated oil, and uh, the, the uh, pharmacist, after they closed the store at night, would heat up a gallon or two of of oil and then uh, melt uh, a big block of camphor in that and bottle it up and would have it all sold out by the next day. And <clears throat> But there seemed to be uh, nothing that was very helpful. It started out as what they call a flu and uh, mostly it was a terminal pneumonia type of thing. And uh, it, uh, it took a it was hardly a family that uh, didn't lose one or more, I presume. However, we were fortunate, and uh, I doubt if my mother's remedy was uh, effective. She had an atomizer, one of these little bulb-type de Vilbis uh, which she had filled with some substance called pinolium and two or three times a day uh, we were all supposed to spray our throats with this pinolium and uh, i doubt if uh, the thing was ever uh, sanitized all everybody stuck a thing in their mouth throat and sprayed a while and it uh, tasted like the devil but anyway we all got through with, without ever having uh, any sickness at all and uh, uh, this was uh, uh, a sample of one of our days as I said in the letter my mother was pregnant uh, with Barbara and uh, which was a great concern to dad because almost every pregnant woman I expect without almost without exception every pregnant woman who got the flu had a miscarriage, and and uh, both uh, I can remember so many times uh, uh, putting a baby in a casket with their mother, and it was almost invariably fatal to the mother. The, uh, we had one man who was in service at Head Workforce for some time. And had replaced him with a man by the name of Johnson, whose first name I uh, fail to remember. I, I think we always just just called him Johnson. He had come up from Colorado Springs and uh, was an asthmatic, very very thin. His face was uh, uh, almost as thin as a uh, cadaver and uh... had a hard time breathing and uh, took shots from first from one doctor and then uh, one shot didn't do any good he took uh, went to another doctor and got another shot they knew they were he was double crossed them but uh, they were sorry for him and he'd uh, have a very difficult time breathing but we got along and uh this was uh, a pattern of our, of our days. Uh, um, My grandmother had a a maid, in those days she was a serving serving girl, by the name of Ruth Johnson, who was very good. And uh, uh, we all, uh, we lived in that house on 7th Avenue, the Macy House was on the corner where the mortuary stands and uh, so uh, we all uh, made our headquarters in Macy house. Uh, my grandmother worked every day, and uh, my mother and Ruth uh, would uh, run the house and get the meals and uh, we started in at seven in the morning got up at six and had breakfast and was at work at seven and uh, uh, and we'd have our main meal at noon if we had time, and uh, and uh, most always would go back to work after after supper. And I remember many times we'd have a call way out in up dry land somewhere, and it would always it seemed to me come in about five o'clock, and I'd go down to the corner drugstore. Uh, and uh, get a ball of milk or something like that, which was my dinner. And I <clears throat> I think I failed to tell you that the mortuary was uh, on 8th Avenue in the 900, almost to 10th Street. In fact, it was the last big building there, and on the corner was Dr. Mulford's house, uh, a little white house surrounded with a white picket fence. And Mulford owned this building, which is the two-story building of the Jones Company, where their athletic department is. And uh, at that time, we had taken the upper floor, too, and had completed it and had a casket uh, selection room up there. It was a stairway alongside the the south side of the room. The front office was uh, oh I suppose maybe 12 feet wide and had a petition made out of uh, ceiling board or some such thing that didn't go clear to the ceiling but uh, went up quite a ways and had double doors in. Uh, they had the plate glass windows in front with uh, a door set back to a three feet and a little uh, platform in there where we had some ferns or artificial palms or something. A little two-foot uh, scrim curtains all, uh, across the windows. And Granddad's uh, desk was on the right side and Dad's was on the left. He had a probably a couple rocking chairs in there he had a straight chair by his desk and and, uh, then uh, on back was the chapel that went back quite a ways and then there was a solid plaster wall and back in the left hand corner of the building uh, was the embalming room and uh, there was a little alleyway back in there I think it's still back there uh, behind uh, Jones and uh, what we used to call the Dow building the last I knew it was a maternity shop or something like that before he came to, to the uh, Chevrolet agency this, uh, this embalming room was not too large it was a uh, room for Uh, one embalming table, and then there was an old, old slate top thing. It was under the windows there on the back side, and uh, what we called a cooling board, which was what we used to take out when we went out and uh, did the embalming in the home. And before the flu, one of the stock questions that was always asked when we got a call was, do you wish the body removed to, to the mortuary, or, or do you would you like to have the embalming done at home? And we had a suitcase kind of a kit with all the instruments and supplies and so forth, plus this cooling board which folded up, and uh, we'd go out to the home and do the embalming. But during the flu, it uh, got so we couldn't do that, and we wouldn't do it, and. Uh, I can remember particularly one instance where the people were insistent that they wouldn't have their person removed to the mortuary and there was a a mortician in Eton, and he did it for them and so he had that call but uh, we uh, started out and as I remember the first time I went out uh, Dad woke me up perhaps 2 o'clock in the morning and said would I go with him out to the country uh, and uh, out by Osgood, which was east of Eaton. And uh, get a man, I think his name was Fuquay, and possibly uh, related to uh, Dr. Fuquay, who was a, uh, well, not much of a doctor, but uh, in fact, he... <laughs> I can vividly remember one certificate that he signed. The cause of death was sonality and the contributory cause was old age. Neither one of those causes was an acceptable uh, cause of death to the State Department of Vital Statistics. So I'm sure that he got that certificate back to uh, give a more specific cause (coughs) But um, it didn't seem to make any difference where, uh, whether you were in town or uh, way out in the dry lands, forty or fifty miles from Greeley, it seemed to be everybody had the flu, and uh, there were a lot of uh, long drives during those months, and uh, with this Buick converted. Uh, purse that we drove, it had uh, side curtains, no heaters in any car in those days. And oh, we'd freeze to death some of those nights and, uh, along in, the, in December. But we made it, and uh, one of uh, the, the men that uh, had uh, come to take care of the horses and the cows and the and they uh, finally got into went to a bombing school and was in the business there's a boy by the name of bill center and he was in the army uh, first world war at that time and that's when we hired johnson who came up from colorado springs and uh, he had a, a daughter who was uh, a real Pretty blonde gal, a senior in high school, and was uh, quite sought after. She had lots of dates. And I think after uh, he left Hawaii, they went to California and his wife opened a roaming house or something like that. I doubt if he was able to work much longer than that. But uh, uh, November 11th that year was uh, the Armistice Day. And uh, a few days before that, a man by the name of Miles Kuhnor, who had been working for Olingers in Denver, had been inducted in the Army and was given a brassard to wear on his arm showing that he was in the military. But they uh, thought that the armistice was imminent, so he, after being sworn in all he had to do was report every morning and then he was free and uh, as soon as the armistice was signed on November 11th he was uh, all he had to do was to uh, tell him what his address was and it was he was drawing pay from the army until about february until they got around to discharging him and he wouldn't go back to olingers because it was such a madhouse there and so dad was able to get him and he roomed and boarded it my grandmother's and uh, so we had that much more help but some of the things that i did as a 15 year old uh uh, shouldn't have been asked, to, uh, been done by anybody. I would hate to think of somebody the age of Mike or Mark doing, or being able to do even, the things that I did. I could drive, and I can remember uh, during the height of the thing when we had a uh, hundred and over uh, deaths a month. During October, November and December that uh, uh, we'd sometimes schedule a service every 30 minutes and uh, I'd take, I'd drive and take dad and the minister to the cemetery and I suppose one or two cars uh, no services in public, no churches even no church services even and uh, we'd go to the cemetery and as soon as the casket was taken out of the hearse and uh, I would drive back, come back to the mortuary on 8th Avenue, back into the curb and uh, Charlie Nelly, who was uh, had worked for us for years from the time I was born I suppose, uh, before maybe, would have the uh, next service Uh, in the casket and the family would be there and uh, we'd roll on the casket truck the casket out to the car and I can't remember about the pallbearers or how it was handled at the cemetery whether cemetery men or whether some of the family or whether they had uh, friends who would uh, have uh, uh, enough uh, lack of fear to participate it would be pallbearers. But by the time I get back to the cemetery, uh, Dad and Mr. Phoenix, who was superintendent of the cemetery, and uh, the minister would have walked over to the second location. I presume Mr. Phoenix uh, on his bicycle, was up at the gate to guide me into the location of the next grave and uh, I would they would take the casket out and I would pick up preacher number one and uh, let out preacher number two and drive back and keep that up every 30 minutes from maybe one thirty until 3.30 or 4 which uh, we'd, uh, that happened uh, several afternoons uh, I can remember and perhaps sometimes it wasn't that uh, uh, strenuous, but um, I do remember one time in this valley, uh, i just gotten started and gotten up to the corner of uh, 10th Street and was shifting and the shift lever broke off. It was on a ball uh, business there with a pin in it and a hole through the, the stick of the shift. And that broke off right there and here I was stuck uh, right in the middle of the street and uh, however we kept our cars in a garage type building I uh, where Rucker's Furniture Store is on 11th Street so I went up and got the old Buick and somewhere and somehow or another we got the casket transferred from uh, the VLE to the Buick and left the VLE in the middle of the street and somebody got it hauled off somewhere I don't remember those details but um, those are just some of the things that happened and uh, to make it interesting uh, he uh, had a number of caskets, of course, when he started, but uh, soon ran out. And uh, Dad bought uh, most of his caskets from the Colorado Casket Company. He was a good friend of the manager down there. And uh, they got so, <clears throat> they were so busy that they wouldn't sell you a casket if you were going to put it in reserve in stock. But you had to have someone uh, ready to be buried. So uh, if a family came in and wanted a funeral, why you called up the the casket company and asked them when they could get the casket to you. And uh, they would tell you, and they never disappointed. Uh, They were always... uh, And the only way they would send them out would be by Railway Express. And the train came in about 8.30 in the evening, left Denver at 6, and they'd load up uh, any number of caskets on the express car there. And if we were in a hurry, why, I'd go down to the depot and get this casket, otherwise they would be delivered, perhaps three or four or more, be delivered uh, by the express truck the next morning. Of course, we had to take them out of the boxes. And... Uh, but uh, it was uh, uh, so much we were so busy that we got some express man who would load up uh, these outside boxes, these pine boxes and crossways on his truck three high and seven long so he could take 21 boxes out to the cemetery which would be uh, enough for Oh, sometimes a week and sometimes less than a week. And uh, uh, it would be quite a sight to see that load of, uh, we call them rough boxes, going out to the cemetery that way. Uh, we, uh, uh, the thing that I've often wondered about since was a lack of system we had. We had no printed uh, forms to mount anything. Uh, Dad would uh, interview the family and get the personal statistics to fill out a certificate. Uh, and uh, then he would write on a little piece of paper and uh, the name and the time of the service and the minister and so forth. But uh, and then put it on a spring clip business, and he had no. That's the way we kept track. And and uh, sometimes the whole family would be in bed, and and uh, we would have someone there for perhaps a week uh, before anyone was able to get up and come in to make arrangements. And perhaps by that time, it would be two or three in the same family who had died. And uh, we'd, uh, uh, I can remember at one time, I think the most we ever had in the mortuary at one time was twenty-six. And uh, for a long time there, there was no identification on them particularly, and I finally got to the place where I, I didn't know who was who and nobody else did, I don't believe so instead of having real tags or anything like that I just get a piece of paper and 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 pin on the uh muslin uh, I think it was a piece of muslin that we used to cover them with and uh, pin the name on and uh, of course we had uh, no facilities to put them in so we used uh, no folding uh, Wooden casket truck like we used up in the display room when we had plenty. We had no caskets up there, so we had plenty of those. And we'd cut two 12-inch uh, 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 boards, six foot long, and put on these casket trucks. And we'd lay these people on that, and uh, probably uh, make a package of their nightgown or whatever, and uh, use that as a pillow put under their head. And finally their clothes would come in and we'd get them dressed. But uh, usually uh, we didn't have a casket to put them in until uh, perhaps the night before the service was going to be. And uh, so it was a pretty hectic, crowded thing. However, I'm I'm, uh, quite proud of the fact that out of all that uh, confusion and all, We had one uh, man who was a county case and no family. And uh, we had a place uh, where he could uh, be buried, that is, a a spot that was unscheduled. And it was the only burial that we had out of all that. hundred more that was not embalmed during that three months period and I, I'm, I'm very proud of that fact because it was uh, when people died of flu it was a very difficult uh, embalming process and uh, uh, they were hard to take care of and uh, the men worked oh we always almost always went back after dinner at night and sometimes they'd send me home by nine or ten unless i was out uh, way out in the dry land someplace and wouldn't, wouldn't get home till 11 or 12. but uh, they seldom came back until 11 or 12 o'clock maybe later but uh, after they got to bed well, my mother answered the phone on all night calls, and uh, even at the hospital, they were very much upset because we wouldn't come. And uh, she'd say, Well, we'll come just as soon as we can in the morning, but uh, these men have to get some rest, or they'll be down in anywhere and anywhere. Uh, nothing can happen. And so, we'll uh, when they go to bed, why, they have worked uh, 14, 15 hours that day and they got to get some rest and so I can remember one morning that we started out and uh, we had seven calls to make uh, people who had died during the night and probably finished up around 11 o'clock on those and by that time there were four or five more we kept on going most everybody was fearful of getting the disease and he uh, couldn't find anybody to help uh... however uh, across the street where shells uh, print shop is now or was uh, was a boy by that you know uh, now uh, he was 18. I was 15. He Charlie Alfell. He worked for an auto equipment place there, and some they didn't have much to do, I guess. Anyway, they let him off, and he helped me. So we go out on first calls. 15 years old, 18 years old, and uh, make a make a pickup, which. Uh, you never think of doing in these days at all have a couple of kids like that uh... doing it and we did the best we could and we used uh... instead of using cots as you have known about we had wicker baskets with a top on and uh... uh... it was lined with a rubber sheet and, and uh then we'd take a casket truck and carry it into the house and then carry the basket in and put it on the truck to, so you most of the time of course you could put the basket on the floor and put the person in the directly just slide him off from the bed into the basket but we didn't like to do that uh... but uh, then we'd have to carry the basket from the house uh, back to the car and then come back and get the truck and fold it up and take it back. Thank you for listening to this episode of Co-Authored. To find more podcasts from History Colorado Studios, visit www.historycolorado.org slash podcasts.